And our um, passage that we'll deal with is Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. What a marvelous verse. What a, what a, what a marvelous passage. You've got to open your Bible and follow along with me these words. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, also there was born of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from whence they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He had prepared a city for them. What does it take to please God? I suppose that the desire of every believer is to please God. What does it take to please Him? Well, the Scripture says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. But what is faith? If faith is necessary to please God, what is faith? For some, faith is doing the spectacular, the supernatural. The headlines of a newspaper a few years ago uh, read like this, Two preachers die in a test of faith. And below that headline was the story of some men who handled snakes and drank strychnine in a snake handling service up in the mountains of Tennessee. Now they survived several snake bites, but after they drank the strychnine, they were history. They were, they were gone. Is it doing the spectacular or the supernatural? For some, it is looking for the mystical. I heard about this lady whose husband died. She was a devout Christian, so lonely. And she decided that one way she might uh, find some comfort for her loneliness was to take a trip to the Holy Land. She'd always wanted to go to the Holy Land. So she investigated these tours to the Holy Land at all these brochures, but she couldn't make up her mind which tour to take. 
Without her husband there to help her with the decision, she felt so insecure. So one night she went to, went to bed reading this brochure about this trip to the Holy Land, told about this big 747 jumbo jet and all of that. And she went to bed with this, you know, thought 747 in, the, in her mind. The next morning when she woke up and glanced at the dial, or the digital dial of the clock, it read 747, 747, and she thought, that's it. God gave me this special message. I'm to take the tour that has the 747, you know, in it. Is faith looking for the mystical? We've made something, you know, we've made faith something ethereal and mystical and, and, and spectacular. But faith is so simple, it just fits life like your shoes fit your feet. He pauses in verse 6 to tell us what faith is. And he says, faith is three things. Faith, faith first of all, is just coming to God. Now, there's nothing any more simple than that. It's like coming to a father, a child coming to his father. It involves dependence upon him. I just come to God. Faith, secondly, is believing that God is there. I mean, it's not something spectacular and supernatural. It's just confidence that when I come to God, God is there for me. And then faith is believing that God is faithful to His Word. He will keep His Word. Now, there was a time when God spoke audibly to His, to his people. And one day He wrote His will with His finger in a tablet of stone. And then God spoke through the voice box of the prophet... And his message, the prophet's message, was without error because God was just speaking through them. Now, God no longer speaks audibly, and he doesn't write his will with his finger in stone. And there are no prophets that speak without error, but God does speak through his word. So that housed in this book is the mind of God, and God speaks through his word. And God speaks through His Holy Spirit who indwells man. Not long ago, somebody from this pulpit said that if you close up the Bible, God no longer speaks. I don't believe that's true. I believe that God speaks in the person of His Holy Spirit, and God speaks through His Word, and God has housed His Word in this book so that what God has said and what God is saying, you can count on. So you come to God, you believe that God is there for you, and you take Him at His word. Faith is resting and relying and risking. It involves those three things. Resting, relying, and risking. Just like these men, he said. Like Abel, who, who came to God God's way. Like Enoch, who proclaimed God's word. And like Noah, who revered God's will. Just like these men, he said. That's, that's the way I want you to live. I want you to come to me my way. I want you to proclaim what you experience and learn as you walk with me. And I want you to revere my will. To do that is to live the life of faith. And then he gives us another illustration. Perhaps you can't relate tonight to, to, to men like Abel, who brought a sacrifice of blood. Or Enoch, who walked with God and just one day, uh, you know, took off into heaven. Nobody saw him again. Or Noah, who built a boat on dry land. But perhaps you can relate 
to a man and a woman named Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, a man of faith. And this is what happened in Abraham's life that pictures him or proves him a man of faith. This simple. When God spoke, Abraham obeyed. Now I want you to turn with me to the twelfth chapter of the book of Genesis because we're going to see the example, the, 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 the text that describes this. The twelfth chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning verse 1. Now you need to hold your place in Hebrews 11 because we're going to be right back there in just a minute. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." Kyle and Dalich, German theologians, make this statement. Abraham was called to leave all, to trust entirely in the guidance of God, and to follow wherever he might lead him. Abraham cheerfully followed the call of the Lord and departed as the Lord had spoken to him. I mean, when God spoke, he obeyed. Now, there wasn't anything spectacular about that. It wasn't a hunch that he had, or it wasn't some cloud formation. It wasn't somebody's face in a taco. It wasn't a phantom, you know, that appeared, you know, to, to Abraham when he had indigestion one night. It wasn't some nagging wife who said, you know, I'm fed up with her. Let's get out of here. And so he said, well, God's leading me and speaking through my wife. It wasn't that at all. God just spoke to the heart of Abraham, and he did what God told him. Now, let me, let me, my thesis tonight, my point is this, that in our attempt to make faith something mystical and ethereal, we have pictured it as trying to psych ourselves up and believe something we know isn't true and calling that faith. Faith is just doing what God tells you to do. Now, I want you to notice verse 4 and 5. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now, when God told this old man, this old-timer, to get up and leave, he was 75 years of age, and take everything you have possessed, you have accumulated. I'm thinking tonight of everything, all that's over there in my garage, you know, and in the attic. And I remember the first time Margaret and I moved, we, we, you know, we picked up and we headed to, Fort, to Abilene, Texas to start to college, and we moved everything we owned in the back of a pickup. And when I moved to Durant six years ago, it took the largest van North American, Airline, North American Van Lines owns. And I remember those guys that came in there to, to, to estimate that. I remember they kind of grumbled around, and one of them said, 
you sure do accumulate a lot over the years, don't you? And I've got stuff stacked in my garage that has Allied van line tags on it from the first move after seminary. It never has been unboxed. Just stacked up in the garage, up in the attic. I'm thinking about all that stuff. Now, Abraham was 75 years old. He had been married at least 50 years and lived in the same spot for 50 years. Think what he had in his garage. I mean, think how many camels it took to load that up and head out to where he was going. Take everything you got and leave. No big garage sales. Get rid of all this stuff. I want you to take everything you've accumulated and take off. Now back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. The amazing thing about this man's faith was not only that at age 75 with 50 years of accumulation, but he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't have the slightest idea where to. Now, if you and I take any kind of trip, we're going to get us a map, and we're going to find the best way to get there, and we're going to know exactly where to go. I'm headed out tomorrow to big city Del Rio, and I know exactly how I'm going to go. I've mapped it out. And I know how long it's going to take me, so I know what I, when I'm going to get there. And Abraham just got up and headed out, not having the slightest clue where he's going. Now, I want you to imagine with me his neighbors. We're going to call them Rebecca and Saul. And this guy's a space cadet for them. You know, I mean, they have some real concern about uh, neighbor Abraham in the first place. He's a strange one. And so they come over and they see him loading up the camels, you know, with all the stuff that he's accumulated. And Saul comes up, kind of sides up to him and said, you leaving? And Abraham said, yeah, we're pulling out in the morning at the crack of dawn, heading out of here. Well, you don't like us here in Mesopotamia? Well, we love it here. It's just been great. We've, this is home. Saul kind of looks over at Rebecca and he comes back to Abraham. He said, well... Why are you leaving? And Abraham says, uh, God told me to. And he just kind of rolls his eyes up and checks out, you know, Rebecca's response to that. God told you so. You've been talking to God then, hadn't you? Kind of chuckled. Yeah, he said, I have. So he kind of, you know, um, scratches his head, <clears throat> clears his throat, and he says, Well, Abe, uh, where are you going? And Abraham said, I don't know where I'm going. You're going to load up all these camels and you're heading out because God told you so and you don't know which map you're taking? He said, that's, that's right. We're just going out a step at a time and God's going to tell us where to go next. Now you got your Bible open there and you're thinking to yourself, isn't that wonderful that a man would do that? And, and, you know, just in response to God, isn't that amazing that you got all these heroes of the faith that, that God just speaks to and they just kind of get up and don't worry about anything, just load up the camels and head out. Isn't that just precious? Have you ever considered the fact that that's the way God wants you to live? Have you ever thought about the fact that that's exactly the kind of lifestyle God wants you to have? Now look at verse 9. Read on with me. By faith he lived in an alien land. You know what aliens are? 
aliens or people living in an area without rights of citizenship as in a foreign land. They couldn't even vote. I mean, 50 years, he's been over there in Ur of the, uh, in Mesopotamia, and, and, and now he's going out and doesn't even have a place where he can cast a vote. I mean, he's an alien, unwanted and unneeded. You say, well, at least there he's going to be able to settle down and have some things of his own. Wrong again, Sam. I want you to read on with me in verse 9. It says, dwelling in tents. I've got the S circled in my Bible. Tents, plural. I mean... For the rest of the time, they dwelled in tents. Now, I'm not much, I'm not much of one for roughing it. I've, I've spent one night in my life in a tent. That was one night too many. And, and so I got in with the Boy Scouts, and, and one of my buddies was a Boy Scout, and, and uh, he, he wanted, we were going to have the Scout Jamboree in Wichita Falls, Texas, and we were going to all live... For, for a full weekend in a tent. That was, a, that was plenty. Let me tell you something. These guys didn't like tents any better than we like tents. They lived 50 years in one place, in a dwelling place, and now for the rest of their life, they're living in tents. They got babies. I mean, he said dwelling with, with Isaac and Jacob. Now, can you imagine living in a tent with babies? I know a guy who thought it would be real nice to take a two-week vacation and just camp out. He, he took his family, and he's had two or three kids, and they headed out to Colorado, spent two weeks in a tent. He came back totally, you know, babbling. He's just, he, 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 he was incoherent, just kind of, you know, they, they, they thought he would never be uh, sane again. He went stark raving crazy, in these tents with those kids up in Colorado. He said, I, if, I, if I get over this, I'll never go back and live in tent anymore. I can imagine that's the way Abraham and Sarah felt. God said to them, from now on it's tent life. And when I point to this direction, you go that direction. And you load up the camels with all the possessions, take down the tents and go that way. And when you're going that way, if I point this way, you turn and go this way. I've never seen anything any more unreasonable than that, have you? I mean, who said that God had to be reasonable? For if He's sovereign Lord, He doesn't have to explain what He's doing. We just have to obey. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, at least out there, he can, you know, he, where, he, where He's going, He's going to find some people He can call His own. Wrong again. With your finger in the place, I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 7. We're going to have to go back there to find the, you know, the bottom line of all of this. Acts chapter 7, verse 13. And this is Stephen's great defense just before he was stoned to death. Stephen's defense. And in and, and, and verse 13... We'll be sure of in the right place. Acts chapter 7. Okay, verse 13. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. That, that's not it. 
Must be verse 3. Get verse 2 with me. And uh, it takes a lot of faith when you're stumbling around here to find your place. He said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Depart from your country and your relatives, and come to the land that I will show you. Then he departed from the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran, and from there, after his father died, God... had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him. Now, here is Abraham getting up and leaving where he's been for 50 years, heading out not knowing where he's going, following the daily guidance of God, and when he gets to where he's going, he has not even a foot of land. The only thing that he ever bought and possessed was what? the burial ground, a plot in a cemetery to bury his wife, Sarah. No inheritance. He pulled up everything, was treated as an alien, and as he went singing Willie Nelson's I'm on the road again. I mean, he was just out there all the time. Now, what what sustained him? Verse 10 was what sustained him. For for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You know what, what, what sustained him? He, he, he was sustained by this quest for the permanency of God's will. Now there's another person in this story, and that person is Sarah, ten years younger than Abraham. And, and if you want to begin reading at verse 11, read again, you, you see what happened to her. She was able to conceive and bear a child. Now, a 90-year-old woman changing diapers, and she sits down one day and writes Rebecca back in Mesopotamia and says, Guess what? God gave us a baby. I just got through changing his diaper and putting him to bed and had a little time to write. And by the time you get this card... God's promise is going to be true to us that we're going to have so many offsprings, it'll be like the sand on the seashore. Now, there are four things to think about. There's an arrow that just kind of reaches up out of this text and points right at us. These four things are, are the things that make up the life, faith lifestyle. It's what every man looks for in a woman. It's what every woman looks for in a godly man. It's what the Foreign Mission Board seeks in mission volunteers. And it's what this church needs, these four things. The first is vision. Now we're going from 13, verses 13 through 16. The first is vision. Faith involves vision. Now this is what vision is. Vision is the ability to hope beyond the restrictions of the present. They saw the promise. And when they saw the promise, they welcomed it. They entertained it with thoughts, welcomed thoughts. Now let me ask you a question. 
Do you welcome the thoughts that come to your mind? Most of us are so beaten down with anxiety and worry, and these little thoughts just come smashing into our minds that cause us anxiety and fear and worry. I was having my quiet time the other day, and I, I was just thinking, you know, I, I really felt led of God and impressed of the Lord. I prayed about that for weeks before I wrote my daughter a letter and told her, I said, why don't you quit your job? It's just not worth it working seven days a week and all those kinds of things. I, I really felt led of God to do that, so she did. Just quit. And, and when she did, I started having these panic thoughts about, will she ever work again? You know, would she ever get a job again? And I was having my quiet time the other day, and I, this true story, and I was just said in my heart, I just breathe this prayer, Lord, why, you know, why would you tell me to do that if you're not going to get her a job? And this, bam, this flash came. Well, I am. That's all it, and God just said. Two words, I am. Now, when you think these thoughts that bombard your mind every day, do you welcome them or do you wish they'd go away, you see? Now the point is this, that a man who is living by faith, the man who is doing what God tells him to do in every step of life, and he just kind of going as God commands him, is a man who welcomes the thoughts that come to his mind because he knows those thoughts are thoughts of God's will and what God is going to do for him next. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no worry. He welcomes those thoughts. Now, when you're reading this story, you're probably feeling sorry for Sarah, especially if your husband picks up and moves every few, two or three days. You know, And you may be feeling pretty sorry for Abraham because he's getting up and leaving where he's been for all of his life and he's heading out never to be the same again, dwelling in tents, never knowing where he's going to be the next day. You probably have a little sympathy for Abraham. Let me tell you what Abraham's doing. He's welcoming those thoughts that come from God. And every morning he gets up and God says, get up, load the camels and head out and I'll tell you where to go today. He doesn't resent that and he doesn't reject that. He doesn't fear that. He welcomes that. Let me tell you something. When a man is living by faith, he even welcomes the absurd plan of God and, and those reckless and wild things that God sometimes calls us to do. Isn't that amazing? There's a second thing. Not only is there vision, but there is pursuit. I want you to look at it. There is pursuit. Beginning, looking in verse uh, 13, it says, having welcomed them from a distance, confessed that they were strangers and exiled on earth. Verse 14, For those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, a fatherland. A fatherland. Now, now what, what does that say to you? If a person is seeking a fatherland, what does that say? What does that mean? Well, it means this, that he's seeking an identity. You're known by your fatherland, see. You're in England, you're known as English. If you're from Spain, you're Spanish. If you're an American, you, you know, live in America, you're an American. You're known by your fatherland. He's seeking an identity. He's in pursuit of an identity. And this is the identity. He's in pursuit of an identity with God. A fatherland. 
He's looking for a place where his father and Abraham could walk. He's looking for an identity with God. That's the pursuit of the man of faith. The pursuit of the man of faith is not for more things to stack in the garage or to load on the camels. The pursuit of the man of God is an identity as God's child. What are you known as? Third, there is an abandonment. In order to have an identity with, with God, there, there has to be a, a, an abandonment. It's where we say farewell. Verse 15, look at it. It's a willingness to release all earthly ties. Read that with me. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. There was, no, there was nothing physical blocking their return to Mesopotamia. They just weren't thinking about it. They burned the bridges. There were these mental bridges in their minds that they burned, for they released that and left it behind. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar in his book, Word Studies of of the New Testament, says, a continual hankering would have found a way back. A continual hankering would have found a way back. I just can't forget those old folks and friends I had back. I'm going back. I can't turn loose of the past. I'm going back. They burned those bridges and they left them behind for there was an abandonment. Somebody was telling me that he grew up near the coast and a lot of times his father would they'd go out in, in the weekends and, and go down to the coast and get a little cabin and, and in the evening his, he and his father would go walking out on the beach and they'd go uh, floundering. It was a gig for flounders that came up in the shallow water at night. Never, never heard of that before, but have now. Well, I have. I heard this guy tell about it. and He said they'd go out and he's just a little kid and he said they'd get farther and farther away from the cabin. And he'd kept saying, he'd say to his daddy, you reckon we ought to go back? You know, he'd, get, he'd lose sight of the lights of the cabin. Strange place. He said, when that would happen, he said his daddy would say, here, hold my hand. And he said, there's something about, you know, his father taking his hand and all the anxiety and the fear would go away. And then he made this statement. What, listen to this profound statement. He said, the hand of the father is more important than the lights of home. The hand of the Father is more important than the lights of home. Now, sometimes you can't have the lights of home and the hand of the Father at the same time. If you put your hand in the hand of the Father, it may be that you're going to have to leave the lights of home. But the hand of the Father is more important than the lights of home. There's a fourth thing. And that is, there is a desire, a desire... But as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country. That is, there must be the yearning for the maximum lifestyle. Kids, listen carefully to this. Listen to this, if nothing else, tonight. The person who lives the faith lifestyle is a person who yearns for the maximum lifestyle. For the things that are more important than six-figure salaries are the garage full of junk. I yearn 
for the maximum lifestyle. I yearn to please God. I'm yearning to walk with Him. And I'm willing to leave everything else behind, friends and, and acceptance and, and houses, and I'll go to tents if that's necessary. I just want more than junk. Yearning for the maximum lifestyle. And it says, therefore, God is not ashamed of them. That is, we're pleasing to God. Now, I have a question for you, and this will be the toward, I'm moving toward the end. I heard about a preacher who, he, about an hour into his sermon, he, he said, now, to make a long story short, somebody interrupted and said, it's too late. <laughs> now, to make a long story short, we'll come to the end of this, I want to ask this question. Why? Is it so rare if it's so good? That is, if the faith mentality is so good, why is it so rare? If it's so wonderful to live um, with a faith mentality, why are so few living it? I have two answers. Number one is because most of us would rather do anything than risk. We don't want to pull up roots. I like it here. If God suddenly told me, pack up the camels and move, I don't, that, that, would, that would be difficult for me. I, I like it. I, you know, I, we don't like to pull up roots, do we? Nobody likes to risk. Who wants to launch out in faith? It's so rare because... We like roots and hate tents. And secondly, it's so rare because those who walk by faith don't publicize it. I don't know of a, I don't know of a missionary, and I know bunches of them, who ever, that ever publicize the fact that they walk by faith. These don't publicize it. So you're not going to hear a whole lot about the Abrahams of the world because they're just going to do it and not talk about it. When I came to the Lord my senior year, I, 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 I had a desire to know more about what it was about. And so I went down to the library, in that little church library we had in our little First Baptist Church in Monday, Texas, and going to check me out some books. And I checked out the book, Through Gates of Splendor. I never heard about those five boys that gave up their lives in a sandbar in Ecuador. But I found out about them through Gates of Splendor. And I never will forget the last statement of that book written by Betty Elliott, the wife of one of those martyred missionaries. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up the junk in the garage that he can't keep in the first place in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith is risking my whole life into the hands and care of God. Let's pray together.
Father, we welcome tonight your will for our life. And we want to mean that when we say it. We want to pursue tonight an identity that is developed because of our relationship with you. We who we are because of your call, your will. We'll not be who we are because of what we make, what we do, our own choice. Lord, we want to be able to abandon everything to follow you with a desire for the best things in life. We want to live like this man lived. We want to want to live like that. The life of faith. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And for His sake I ask. There might be an op- uh, some of us tonight who want an opportunity to publicly uh, respond to the prompting of God in our heart, young people, even those of us who, I mean, Abraham was 75, not too many people here tonight that old. There's an invitation tonight to come and receive Christ as your Savior. You know where He's going to take you, going to take you to heaven. Along the way, there are going to be some different kinds of diversions. There may be some of us who need to rededicate our life or as was in the plea this morning to place your life in, in this community of faith, this community of believers. It is important that when you live in a community to be a part of that, the church that's there that you love and feel led to, to join. We'll not wait too much longer for your response than one or two stanzas. So if you're coming, we'll invite you to come right now while we stand.